Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And today, Father, I want to talk about something that's going on in reality. I mean, we live in, in this COVID world when we're all just a part of it. And I wanted to, to discuss kind of the feeling that I am get as far as from people in general going through this and in particularly the way that the rules are being imposed upon us. And as I was preparing for this episode and trying to think it through, I wanted to make sure that it had something to do with our faith. And obviously, you know, we're called Father and Joe because we talk about the faith and becoming closer to God. And one of the elements that you've brought up many times is that all of this is about relationships. And all of us are having a relationship with each other, a relationship with rules, a relationship with God. So from that backdrop, I've kind of come to the conclusion that there's two things that are are, are very bothersome to me and I'm sure to a lot of people out there about the way in general um, Pennsylvania and many other states are doing this worse. So I admit up front that I'm not as bad as it could be, especially for those listeners we have in California, but There is an implicit assumption in all of this that you cannot trust anyone else around you unless you directly live with them. And that is the underlying assumption that is really getting to me. And I don't know if this is the other side of the same coin or if it's a causation situation, but there's another element going on that everyone feels about themselves that they are just so important that how dare you even think about giving me something that I shouldn't have, despite the fact that none of us can control the wind. And if this thing truly is as contagious as everyone says, you're going to get it whether you like it or not. So with that being said, I don't know if those are the two sides of the same coin, but they are definitely the two impressions given upon me that are very much causing angst and problems and You can see it in national polls across the board and happening within myself. So as I look at it, and we've discussed relationships before, an important element of any relationship, if you're going to have a fruitful one, is an element of trust. So therefore, starting from a position that says, we can't trust anyone, you're infected, you put your mask on 24-7, if it's not on perfect, we're going to scream and holler. Or in terms of the Thanksgiving rules that just happened, you're only allowed to have two other households at your house. Well, if you're a situation where you have adult children and you have more than two of them, you're only allowed to bring two of their households to you. So inherently, it seems, at least in that particular instance, an attack on the family. And that's not what I want to dwell upon. I feel that's more of a symptom of the root cause of what I just mentioned. There's an implicit fact that, or assumption that no one can trust each other. And if you give it to me, I'm the greatest person on the planet. How dare you even think of walking around me where your breath could affect me? So, and again, I'm not trying to make light of the disease. It's horrible when you get it. I had it. But I also am living in reality that if it's contagious, everyone is, says it is, you're going to get it regardless. So with that being said, I wanted to start with there as those two things that are really getting to me and I'm sure getting to many of us out there. And I know that the faith has answers about these two problems. Well, just to uh, 
maybe work backwards. Uh, your comment that it's bad, but you're going to get it anyway is, uh, if I can say that's a, that's one degree too simple because as bad as it was for you, it was not as bad for other people and it was worse for other people. So what we really want to do is control how we get it so that we get the less bad version so that we survive. <laughs> and especially the people that are more vulnerable, we want to get the less bad version. And ultimately that's what a vaccine is, you know? So if it's getting the less bad version uh, with or without the vaccine so that we can develop antibodies and resist this very contagious virus. Okay, fine. So that's, that's a fine goal, I think, you know? And, and so how do we get there? And then the question is, well, I, <sighs> I think multiple problems emerge because it's taken us a while to figure out, you know, I, I think there still isn't a consensus, although I'm not up on the latest things, but we certainly had very different ideas about how you could get it in March, as opposed to what our ideas are of how you can get it now. I suppose our ideas now are more accurate. I, I've sort of lost track of what's what. I heard, you know, someone say, you have to be breathing the same air as someone else for... 15 minutes or something and somebody else says you know so anyway it seems like the facts are a little bit confusing and so that makes it more complicated and then there's also this thinking problem you know that we talked about in recent podcasts i think people have a hard time thinking and so then we end up with uh you know somebody doing the thinking for us but of course everybody's situation is different so you can't say well okay if you're with two households who haven't been with other households, you know, it's like you start having these really complicated rules if you want to accommodate every situation. And so from what I understand in Pennsylvania, for example, they're basically like, if you're out of the state, that's a problem. And, uh, you know, so don't do that. Like get a COVID test if you're going to come in from out of the state. We want to protect within our state. Well, of course, that's going to be a heuristic. It's like, I live in Ohio and I haven't been around anybody, you know, or whatever. I, I live in the, in the, the middle of nowhere and uh, it's not possible for me to catch a disease. Well, you're in a different situation then than somebody who's living in, I don't know. I mean, Baltimore or something. I'm not trying to pick on any particular place, but it's like highly populated places are going to be different. And, and if you go out shopping a lot, that's going to be different. If you work in a hospital, that's going to be different. It's like, there's all these different situations. And so what you're, I think what the rules are trying to do is is give you some criteria by which you evaluate your own risk level and then to be respectful that you're not going to, you know, if you have a high risk level that you're not going to inflict yourself, you're going to try and and take some precautions to not inflict yourself on somebody else who who maybe has a high vulnerability level, you know. So, anyway, it's all very heuristic based. There there aren't clear you know, we like when we make laws that it's more black and white. You know, if you're whatever, you take the money out of the store, it's stealing, you get arrested. You know, it's like we, we like laws to actually be firm categories and there just aren't firm categories. But we have the lawmakers, you know, the government officials who are not necessarily the wrong people in one sense. I mean, it is the, the government's role to try and regulate society so that we can live peaceably together. Um, you don't want it to become just totally ad hoc because then it can devolve into the survival of the fittest. Well, like, you know, maybe you, Joe, having had COVID, you're like, I don't care what anybody says. You know, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> and uh, 
anyway, we can we can fall into that pattern too. So so there is it, it I guess it's just objectively messy, you know. That's a that's a big problem in all of this. And then it gets more messy because it's become so contentious and and polarized in in different directions and people being unreasonably like, "Oh, no precaution makes any difference. So we shouldn't do anything." Okay, well that seems a little extreme. Um if everybody wears masks all the time, nobody will get sick. Well, I don't know. That seems pretty extreme too, you know. Um so trying to find the middle ground in all of that, I think is really complicated. Now, to your initial point, which I think is a really important one, how does all of this flow from a lack of trust and how does it reinforce a lack of trust? I think that we started distrusting authorities back in the 60s, you know. I don't even know all the reasons for that, but somehow that whole movement happened that we started, you know, whether it was because we were in the Vietnam War or because it was I don't know, I mean, the authorities that say you can't have sex, drugs and rock and roll or whether it was whatever it was, all all of that stuff. There's a lot of rebellion that happened already then and then that's formed, you know, it's flowed in different ways. Um, of course, one of the things we've talked about a bit is the, you know, the pre-sex abuse scandal, which causes people to distrust the church and distrust the clergy. And, you know, that's a particularly horrendous example of broken trust. Um, there are other, other uh, examples of financial mismanagement, of laziness in the clergy, of uh, high life in, you know, there's all kinds of reprehensible ways that that we as clergy or that government officials or that teachers or coaches or so many institutions that we thought we could trust, which were probably never any more or less trustworthy than they are now, but we live in an age where we expose the human failures of everybody. Uh, I guess that's the cancel culture. You do one thing wrong, you get canceled. And then we just cancel the whole institution that you represent. And so there's a lot of that really problematic trust stuff that goes on towards, you know, big institutions and, and authority, offices of authority and things like that. And And that's something that, you know, I mean, the church tried to get her hands around that or, or is still trying to, I guess. By, by being more accountable, by being more transparent, by establishing procedures that we also uh, audit and prove that what we say we do, we actually do, is so that if we say that you can trust us, and um, it's been a few years ago now, but one of the bishops who was tasked with overseeing all of the child protection um, departments in every diocese made the firm declaration. He said, the Catholic Church is the safest place in the world for children today, period. And he said that with absolute confidence. You know, as a man who was looking at the numbers, who was aware of the situation, who was deeply immersed in it. And, and we have the processes and facts and everything to prove that. Now, doing the culture change is going to be an ongoing process. But Damage trust is a reality. Rebuilding trust is a challenge. And to your point, Joe, you know, I, I think, I don't know, somehow, somehow the uh, incident in my mind always sticks of uh, the way that Halloween candy became dangerous. 
whenever that was, about 20 years ago. I feel like it was just after I was in, in the major Halloween business, you know, um, or 30 years ago, I don't know, th 25 years ago. Um, and it's like, because somebody slipped something into somebody's Halloween candy and that became a major news story. And therefore all Halloween candy became suspect. I remember when they started doing that tamper-proof stuff on, there was a, somebody inserted like a razor blade in a Tylenol bottle or something. And, uh, and hurt somebody. And then we became, you know, we started doing all of this tamper-proof stuff. And if it's, you know, if the seal is violated, then don't trust this. And, and there's a good purpose to all of that, but it's the single experience that turns into distrust for everything. And that's what becomes really problematic. And so we, we've moved into this place of, you know, stranger danger and, you used to be able to walk on the streets and you used to whatever, be able to hitchhike or something, or you could, you didn't have to worry that if somebody stopped to help you with your uh, flat tire, that they were also going to beat you and rob you and leave you for dead, you know? Um, but we've, we've generated all of these terror, these fear stories. And whether that's the movies, the media, that's the, the tall tales of uh, popular culture or whatever that is, it's developed a lot of suspicion a lot of distrust. And now add on top of that, the idea that the virus is everywhere, that everybody is a potential carrier, and that I can't trust anybody. Uh, to, who, who, you know, everybody's potentially going to kill me with this virus. It, it just really adds to the hysteria and complicates the levels of distrust and suspicion that are already quite rampant, I would say. So with that being said, um, obviously that's a big part of what I'm trying to get at. And as you were saying, your part about the Halloween candy, I was thinking about this year's, how we weren't physically allowed to be within six feet of handing the candy to someone like sitting up on a stairwell and watching everyone go by like that really defeated the purpose uh, of all of it. So with that being said, how do we fix it? And, and I think that the part of this goes to, the second part of either the cause or the other side of the coin, depending upon how you look at it, which is the, how can, how can you be so arrogant to try to affect me? I'm so important. I'm the most important that there is, you know, medically speaking, that's narcissism. So with that being said to me, if it's not the cause, it's certainly the accelerant on the fire. And how can we deal with correcting both of those issues? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, you know, there's something with there's something with risk assessment and and trying to uh, be reasonable about things. Because I think, well, a lot of people traveled for Thanksgiving, right? I mean, a lot of people used airports, and or what, 1.2 million people that used airports or something, and you know, so uh, and and likewise, I felt this very much with uh, you know the clergy. Uh, sex abuse, pr the child protection policies, which at, f at first glance were like, you know, you can never have any contact with any children ever. Uh, I, I, any, I mean, as a priest, I really felt that kind of attack. And uh, clearly the church has to minister to children, you know, so, so there's some things put in place like, well, their parents have to be there, you know, and, and if there's going to be some situation that uh, whatever, their 
parent goes to the bathroom or something and you're you're left there alone with a child and you know you're just it's it's heightening our awareness of the risks that we're taking and then we need to be able to make uh, the the right kinds of assessment now move out of the clergy the child protection issue and and into the question of uh, uh, of disease so if I'm going to go into a supermarket I'm taking a certain amount of risk and if I'm going to interact with somebody in charity I'm taking a certain amount of risk and I'm using different criteria about how trustworthy this person is or the situation is with family and friends I have a higher level of trust and uh, so I'm maybe going to be more willing to take a risk now I have to not inflict my risk on other people and uh, you know how trustworthy am I how much exposure have I had or whatever uh, you know there's plenty of situations around me these days where people were certain that they were fine and they were actually sick and they've gotten a lot of other people sick. So there's a reality to all of that, but we can't live in a zero risk place. There's just no such thing as zero risk. And so we have to take some risk and then we have to be able to evaluate how much risk we want to take and how uh, how trustworthy someone is. So one, I'm going around in circles now, but one highlight of all of this is I think it's just raised the awareness in our minds of, of asking this question, just realizing that there is a risk in certain situations that we can be aware of. Now, we could have the attitude um, like you, you mentioned before, you know, I don't want to get the disease, but it's not deadly for you, for maybe for a lot of people. Um, and I'm going to get it eventually, and so I'm more willing to take a 25% risk. Maybe somebody else who is whatever, uh, has lung damage and diabetes and other complications is more likely to take a 5% risk or a 10% risk. Um, so, But we're actually making some of those mental calculations now more than before. And... Uh, you know, and, and ultimately, all of this has to be counterbalanced. We're talking about faith here; has to be counterbalanced against eternal life. I mean, the the stories of the saints are just riddled with examples of those who caught the disease of the ones they were ministering to, who took very high risks in times of plague or in times of yellow fever or in times or places of leprosy, who take took very high risks. And in some cases, contracted the disease and died of it themselves. They didn't consider that a loss. So, um, so we have to keep that in mind too. I mean, we don't need to be cavalier about things. We don't want to bring death to people who are not prepared for death. But um, you know, insofar as as we are prepared for death, as we have a relationship with Christ, um, we need to not look at death as the ultimate bad uh, outcome. Death is not the ultimate bad outcome. Hell is the ultimate bad outcome. And, and so we have to keep in mind a, a further step. Sometimes maximizing life has gotten us in terrible danger. There's, there's a wonderful book by Atul Gawanda, who's uh, not a Christian, he's a Hindu, but it's a, a beautiful description of uh, just showing the development of the medical system from uh, just private practice, I guess, through hospitals to nursing homes to hospice care so the care for the for the sick and dying 
the chronically ill and dying uh, moving to a place of really of hospice care is kind of what he brings it to, that there's some pain management, but people are at home, that they're cared for by their loved ones, that, um, you know, and, and death is accepted, that there's no more life-saving measures that are being carried out. Death is not the ultimate bad outcome. And uh, we can, we can, anyway, we want to be compassionate and care for people as best as possible, but we don't avoid death at all costs. And what happens in hospital systems, so he talks about his own father who was on hospice care and they said like, whatever happens, don't call the emergency room because then you're going to be wrapped up in a system. And sure enough, uh, anyway, it happened a little bit unexpected. And the the mother, the wife of the of the dad called the the emergency and they picked him up and then they're like determined to keep him alive at all costs. And he was on hospice care, you know? So it's uh, those kinds of things, you know, that's where our mentality also needs to be adjusted. And uh, we have to look at things in, in light of the bigger picture and what are we really trying to maximize in life? And that's where if we, if we aim for zero risk, then we also have to embrace zero trust. And if we embrace zero trust, then we embrace a life that's not worth living because then we eliminate every relationship. And then we can live for a long time in this life like Ebenezer Scrooge, completely isolated and with nothing but our own possessions. And we will die, we will rot from the inside if we do that. Life is only worth living insofar as it's relational with God and with others and that we foster that through trust. And I think that's very well said. And as you said, it does tie back to a lot of the other episodes we've been doing recently about thinking and thinking for yourself, because that's the only truly way you can look at risk correctly. As everyone keeps pushing the all or nothing, if one person messed up, we all failed mentality. Well, that's just realistically not possible. It's just not. At the same time, you know, we need to embrace the fact that there's going to be failures. If for no other reason, statistically speaking, there's too many of us for there not to be failures. You know, at a 0.1% failure rate, that is incredibly, incredibly good. But if that was applied to all 360 million of us, that's still 360,000 people that would suffer from this 0.01% failure rate. That is still an incredibly good outcome. So I think that whenever we look at at numbers like this, you know, you you take all of your examples you've given. You had one guy poisoning Reese cups back 25 years ago that happened in one neighborhood in one area. Nationwide, it became an hysteria. You know, the, the, I forget who said it. I want to think it's Stalin because it's a bad one that it was if, 100,000 people die of something it's a statistic. If one person dies of it, it's a it's a national problem. And it feels like that is basically where we're at in that we all have the ability of going and finding the extreme one-off examples. The guy who, you know, can walk off anything and then the 4-year-old who's now paralyzed because of one little Tylenol you can see all of these stories everywhere and to realize that the likelihood of that actually happening is so, so rare. And there's probably much more to the story than you're not being told is, is the other part of it. 
And I think just overall that just thinking about that and knowing that there is never a time that zero risk is the correct answer is also important. And you just essentially outlined how in a very real sense that is anti-faith and that is anti-God trying to push a situation that is a zero risk game. Because inevitably, as you just said, it detaches you from every relation you have and that the entire faith is about us building better relations and in doing so will make us better people and help others around us through these relations. And in a sense, even science says we are a very social species. It's as nature as it can be. And to keep embracing this zero risk, don't trust anyone mentality. By the way, you just articulated, it kind of seems like that's a sin. Um, if not, because it's deteriorating the work that God's trying to do. And I do think that there's an important element of trying to have this discussion and point it out. Now, that being said, we know that not everyone's going to like everything that we say, despite the fact that you just outlined why it's correct. Um, but if you do know someone who would like to, to follow the cast, we have been growing rapidly here and we would like to continue to do so. So please just hit the share button on whichever server you're listening to the cast on here and we'll be with you again here next week.